Blog Talk Radio. edition of Wednesday edition of Sports Conversations. I am Don Henderson. We have reporters all around the country. We're going to talk about any number of sports tonight. So many things going on in so many different directions. Roy Cummings, who always joins us the first half hour, 
He's over in Tampa. We'll talk about the Lightning. We'll talk about the Bucks. Roger Henderson in Atlanta. The Falcons and, of course, the Phillies. Uh, Roger, a long-time Philadelphia resident, long-time Philadelphia broadcaster. Frank Carroll, our executive producer. Ray Dinninger, Hall of Fame writer, playwright. All going to join us tonight along with Mike Schulte and, of course, Mike Zimzak and Doug Hamilton. So we've got a great lineup tonight. Let's start off going right to uh, <clears throat> Tampa, Florida, because I'll tell you, Roy Cummings, uh, we're in the middle of the World Series. I know you're uh, following the Lightning very closely as well, but uh, some of you and Roger's thoughts about the first three games of the World Series between the Phillies and the Astros. Well, it's an exceptional series. Uh, pulling for the Phillies, I, I think they're obviously, we said this a week ago, it's, it's really a great story what they've uh, how, the, how they've, uh, you know, worked their way through the playoffs here, beating some, some of the top teams, St. Louis, Atlanta, now given uh, the Astros obviously everything they can handle. And, you know, I think it's interesting that, you know, it's, I, I almost hate to use the phrase, but in a way, you know, the Phillies are a bit of a one-dimensional team. You know, they're, they're just they're a power team. They hit for power, and that's what's carried them. They're not a defensive team. They're not going to be strong there. I mean, the only gold glove they've got is uh, behind the plate. Uh, perhaps to Roger's chagrin, um, but um, <laughs> at the end of the day, uh, they're not a strong defensive team. I mean, they, you know, you see uh, Baum has gotten better, but he still struggles at third. Certainly Hoskins is uh, virtually awful at first. Uh, the outfield is is questionable. That's why they picked up uh, Marsh uh, at the trade deadline. But uh, And the pitching has been solid. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, they can just they can mash. They can absolutely mash. Uh, virtually everybody in that lineup uh, is a three-run homer waiting to happen, and, and they have they've they've had them. And I think last night they took advantage of of a young pitcher uh, tipping some pitches. But you know that's how it works in this game, and um, they're just playing. Uh, they're really playing. Uh, I don't want to say they're playing above their you know their heads because I think they're playing to their capabilities because they're using what they they're using their strength to win, which is again it's the power. And they've got it throughout the lineup. And a guy like Castellanos can uh, can 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 struggle, uh, and somebody else will pick him up. And guys, boy oh boy, I almost tweeted this out last night. I don't think I did it, but at the end of the day, Bryce Harper is going to get MVP votes in the World Series, whether the Phillies win or not. If they win, he's going to win it. And if they don't, he he deserves votes, and he just may win it anyway because uh, that guy has carried this team in the playoffs. Boy, what a reward! For the uh, for the investments you made in him uh, three four years ago, it's uh, I know it hasn't throughout the course of the regular season always turned out the way they'd hoped, but uh, he's got a regular season MVP to his credit as a Philly. Now he's got a he's on his way to winning one in the World Series, and boy oh boy, talk about stepping up when it matters most. He has absolutely done it. Roger, you follow it very closely. You may be in Atlanta now, but you're following the Phillies as closely as can be. Your thoughts. Well, I agree with Roy. Uh, he is prime time, and uh, he just really stands out when it comes to uh, being center stage. And uh, I, I think, you know, Frank and I were talking earlier that uh, we want the Phillies to win, but we're nervous about tonight. And uh, I I don't know what's going to happen. We'll know in about three hours, but uh, – I, the way I look at it, they have overachieved. It's been exciting. I've said it many times. The person that I'm happiest for is our good friend Dan Baker. 
his 50th anniversary of uh, doing being the public address announcer and uh, for the Phillies. And uh, it just uh, with what he's been through health-wise, he's been a guest on many times on the show. Uh, and I'm I'm really happy for him that he ha- he's in another World Series. You probably heard him last night uh, on the intros and everything. So, um, but you know, it's been a great World Series. No matter what happens, you can't fault the Phillies. Like you said, Roy, they've beaten a lot of very good teams. They have been the on the uh, uh, as far as uh, predictions go, they've never been predicted to be winners, and they have. What more can you say? Don, well, I know you're couple usually things going back to Roy's comments, one. and I have to agree with 100%. The Phillies were a big strikeout team during the course of the season, and they were also an extremely, extremely weak defensive team. However, since the playoffs have begun, Cipriano and Roy Fields made three plays that he couldn't have made at any time during the course of the 22 season. They're still struggling a little bit at first base. Thompson makes a change at third in the eighth or ninth, even though Baum has been playing quite well, he still makes a change defensively there in the late innings. But, uh, Roy, I, I agree with you. Uh, they're a team that uh, just seems to come together. They aren't striking out nearly as much. They're playing much, much better defense. They played all during the season and getting the timely hits when they need them. Yeah, and, Don, I was going to kind of throw this question out to the panel here and, and just see what everybody thought. You know, I hesitate to use the phrase that they're, they're overachieving, um, Roger went ahead and said that. Uh, I'm anxious, you know. I mean, to, to feel, John. What do you think? I don't think they're overachieving because, again, uh, I think what they're doing. I, th- I think they're managing within what they've got. If Marsh doesn't start, he ends up playing the game in the, in the eighth or ninth inning as a defensive replacement. Uh, same with, uh, with with Sosa at third base for Bomb. Uh, if they could find somebody to play a little bit better first base for him, I'm sure that would happen too. So. Uh, I think they're doing, and, and again, you can't knock the starting pitching. Aaron Nola is as good as there is. Uh, Zach Wheeler is is, is very solid. Um, the, the, the move back now. He's moved back out. one day. Granted, granted. But, uh, you know, I, I think they're getting the most they can out of the pitching. I'm not sure that they've overachieved, and here's why, guys. That three-run homer or that power, it's a great equalizer. And you saw it last night. It deflated the Astros. It certainly deflated Lance McCullers, but it cert- it deflated the Astros. They just had no life after the fifth inning because it's like, well, how are we going to come back from this? If even if we come back, somebody else will probably hit a two-run homer. We'll be uh, we'll be on the bottom of the scoreboard again. So uh, I'm not sure that they're overachieving. I think they're playing to their capabilities and just taking good advantage of the strengths that they have. Roger. Well, I what I really meant was they when you think about how they got into the playoffs, Roy. I mean, they were the last of the last, and a couple of things. If it was last year, they would not have been in the playoffs with that record. Uh, the other thing is that uh, when Harper went down, and he's only been able because uh, he, not only when he had the broken thumb, but also he was going to have to have uh, uh, arm surgery uh, after the season. And he's Dumb been John. able, yeah. And they've been able to use him uh, as a uh, designated hitter. Which, if they didn't have the universal designated hitter, they w- would Bryce Harper wouldn't have played all year. So I think that's what I meant that they've overachieved considering considering what they went through during the year. 
They turned it around. There's no doubt about it. And, hey, listen, uh, you know, the Braves last year were a wild card and won the World Series. And they uh, beat some teams that they were not expected to win. So you never know in the game of baseball. Well, you're right. One of my last thoughts before we switch to another topic is that they got a little bit lucky. They got rained out on Monday night. So they didn't have to go to Shindigar and go to a bullpen in, in game number two or game number three. They they avoided that, and <clears throat> Ranger came in and pitched five outstanding innings. And now they're okay. right back on track with Nola coming up tomorrow. They're going to skip the next day because Wheeler's got that knee problem and it really affected him in the only game he pitched. He lost a lot of his uh, velocity. So they're going to try to get that bill up by giving an extra day. So I think all those things all fit in to exactly what the Phillies were doing and really sets them off. Frank, our executive producer, a big Philadelphia fan, big Philadelphia uh, personality. Frank, before we get to go to another topic, you have a comment on the Phillies? Well, I, I'm surprised that uh, I haven't seen a, a picture of uh, Rogers' crystal ball because he's the first one to say they would go more than 90 games. I, I, this this team reminds me an awful lot of uh, the '80s teams. Um, you know, when when Tug would come in and and make his save that he didn't have to save, when the, when the bull was was running from one end of the field to the other just to make that catch that that Smitty could have had right right there. But he it was that determination, and uh, it's nice to see that back. It's nice to see the Philly fans. Uh, uh, decked out. I don't know how they afford to go there. To my, myself, right? A thousand dollar seats is a that's an awful lot of money. But uh, you know, if I for was standing Rogers at the uh, Rogers at the price list, was, I guess yesterday. And I'll tell you, I I agree with you. I never saw prices like that in Philadelphia. Roger, mm-hmm. a final comment on that because you sent it to us. That I mean, a thousand dollars for a standing room? You got to be yeah, kidding me. You know, you know what it was, Roy? It was the secondary market. And uh, they had tickets in the uh, Diamond Club, uh, and, and there it was like $30 uh, if you want to uh, be able to order drinks. And But I will also tell you that they're like uh, the Georgia, uh, the uh, Tennessee game uh, this uh, uh, Saturday there's places, one in particular in Athens, just to get in a restaurant to watch the game. It's a $200 cover to get into the restaurant to watch this game in Athens. So well, you said uh, the Diamond Club, $30. You're talking over $200, not oh, yeah, $30. That's just for, no, that's, that's for Saturday for the Georgia-Tennessee cover to get into the restaurant. So when you're in the World Series and, and it was – Fourteen hundred dollars for standing room only, and then you saw thirty-two hundred dollars for a seat, twenty-eight hundred dollars for a seat, and you know. But the the best deal was sign up, take a, a season ticket plan for next year, and you would have gotten tickets at the uh, base, uh, the uh, regular price. You know. So, oh here here's a, pop, a big poppy tonight. He's got a Doctor J. Uniform on. <laughs> Number six, the good Dr. doctor. Dr. J last night, I'll tell you. You saw a well, lot hey, of guys, Dr. J. Before we leave that topic, before we leave that topic, guys, uh, Frank made a great point. This team reminds me a lot of those 80s teams, too, or that 80s team that, that won. Uh, because, again, it, it wasn't expected to be that way. And uh, 
Uh, it was a team that you just, you know, had to have kind of one with heart and soul, and and that's what's you happening gotta here. You got to believe. You got to believe. Absolutely, you got to believe. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Roger, I'm glad you brought up the fact that uh, I think it's a great marketing tool. Uh, you can get tickets at face value uh, for uh, if you sign up for 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 uh, season ticket package for the following season, which I think is a great idea. And again, you don't have to buy you know, 81 games, you can buy a package of some kind. It could be 15 games, 20 games, whatever, and that's a great man. I think that's a way a lot of people – because the fans, guys, and, and Bryce Harper mentioned this last night after the game. He came out and said, you know, he was asked, you know, what is it – you know, what's fueling you guys? And he said, it's the fans. We come home here and he says, how do you not play hard for these people? He says, you know, they're, the way that they're, they've responded to us, uh, the way they're supporting us, uh, it, it gives you chills when you, when you hear them, uh, you know, root for you the way they are. Uh, we're doing this for the fans. And uh, you know what, guys? That's how it's supposed to be. And uh, it's really just, like I said, it's a great story. And uh, I'm hoping it, uh, it works out the way we're all hoping it will. That's for sure. Well, you Roy, you've seen her on a couple of occasions. Uh, one, of course, with the Lightning, uh, their first Stanley Cup. But uh, then, of course, after that, winning back-to-back but not making the third. Uh, they got up to a little bit of a shaky start this year, but they've sort of leveled off now. But Boston is just flying out of the gate. Yes, they are. Uh, Boston is, uh, and and they look, they got a little bit of a fuel injection uh, when they got Brad Marchand back. So uh, Boston playing very well. We'll see how they do against, I think, playing Pittsburgh tonight. But, guys, the story of the NHL, uh, really, for the first month, uh, is right there in Philadelphia with the Flyers. Uh, down two to one right now to uh, uh, to the Maple Leafs, but um, at the end of the day, that team is playing extremely well under John Tortorella, and uh, they got a backup goalie in tonight on a second of a back-to-back game, kind of a tough situation, obviously against a team in Toronto that is really uh, <laughs> trying to find itself at this point. But um, big story there. I think it's the story of the NHL so far in this early part of the season. Everything else. Is pretty much predictable um what's happened uh, but you're right boston is flying that's for sure tampa struggled out of the gate but they think they probably righted the ship a little bit here uh over the course of the last few games they got they, they got together on a west coast trip those bonding trips are always good for teams uh especially teams that are struggling and i think they took advantage of that opportunity and came back and uh you know played a pretty good uh you know it's turning out to be a pretty decent senators team as well uh, but beat them at home. So uh, they're off to a good start, uh, or they're back, they're back where they should be. But the Flyers are one of the big stories of the league right now. Roger, they got off to a great start. Hart, uh, who really had some problems over the last couple of years, and it seems like uh, Tortorella's sort of gotten them straightened out, giving them a little defense in front. Uh, right now they're a couple of games over 500. They're in the middle of the pack. But uh, as Roy said, uh, they're playing much more consistent and much better hockey. Well, they are. They're five, two, and two, and uh, they're they're trailing Toronto right now, two to one. But uh, I, they are. I mean, I surprised, and we'll talk to Tom Lemay in the next couple of weeks and and uh, about the Flyers, like you said, Don. He's always uh, he's right there all the time. Uh, but I'm I'm happy if if the uh, if the season ended right now, they'd be a, a wild card team. So that's a positive compared to, to what they did last year. Guys, right, a, big, a big part of that is 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 John. I mean, it's John Tortorella. You've got to give him the credit here because oh, you know the roster the roster hasn't changed much at all. And um, you know, first of all, he brought a structure, and he demands that you follow that structure and play the system. 
And if you don't, as uh, Travis Konechny found out, you'll get benched. And if you go benching guys like Travis Konechny, well, let me tell you, everybody else on the team, you know, the third and fourth line guys see that and say, boy, if I don't buy in, I know I'm going to sit because if he'll sit that guy, he'll he'll sit everybody. And and it's true. So, um, you know, and, and I think the thing with Carter Hart, look, Carter Hart I think has been the, their best player. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, yeah, he's getting a little bit more help defensively, not just from his defense core, but, again, you know, from the forwards coming back and, and being a part of that. And, and again, that's all part of the uh, – the structure and the buy-in that uh, John Tortorella demands. And, uh, you know, Don, John Tortorella, he's got guys that, uh, that that he likes, players who play a certain style like Anthony D'Angelo. That's that's a guy right there who, you know, he's going to get in your face. He's got he's got enough skill to, to warrant being, uh, you know, a top six uh, defenseman for sure. And uh, at the end of the day, though, he's going to get in your face and be gritty and, uh, and, and dig pucks out of corners and, and give up his body, and he's going to get down in front and start blocking shots. I mean, that's one of the things you're seeing from the forwards is you've got guys down there blocking shots that probably haven't blocked a shot in three years. So, um, you know, that's a big part of it. And, uh, again, it's all buy-in at this point. And I think once you buy in and you see the results, and usually it's happened more quickly here than I think it normally does, and that's probably a result of the fact that you've got kind of a, you know, a lot of veterans really on this team who are ready to buy in, but usually the results take a little bit while. But uh, what the, what's happened here is with the Flyers is they've seen the results quickly, right off the right off the jump, uh, coming back in, in their, each each of their first four games to win, and now that's built confidence. So before you get out of the first month, you've seen results from the structure that Tortorella is demanding. You've seen results from the buy-in that he wants, and you build confidence off of it. And now they're just, they're just playing with a great deal of confidence. Uh, and structure, and you put those two, two things together, and it's hard to beat. So that's what's happening. Roy, before we jump out of the first segment, and you you have to uh, run out to dinner, and we got to move on. Let, let's go to another subject that's really, really up in the air, and that's the Bucks. I mean, uh, yeah. we saw what happened uh, last Thursday night. Uh, they've had ten days now to sort of recoup and get ready and do some things. I saw where Brady was out with his kids for Halloween with a. <laughs> with his mask on and all, and having a lot of fun. But, uh, fellas, I'll let both of you comment on what do you th- where are the Bucks going to go next? Well, they got nowhere to go but up, really. <laughs> they are so far down uh, all throughout the uh, the roster, really. It's it's really a mess. And, uh, look, I, I, it's great to see Tom Brady out with his kids, uh, having doing Halloween, all that kind of thing. I, I, what I think is the best thing about that is, Hopefully, it was a fun, relaxing moment for him, and he could take a step back and breathe a little bit. Um, I think he's pressing. I really do, uh, and, and rightfully so, probably for a, a number of reasons, uh, including what's happening at home. But I think he's pressing a little bit. Uh, you know, the numbers look good with Tom Brady because he's throwing the ball 52 times a game. So you do that, you're going to have plenty of yards. You're going to get some touchdowns here and there, and uh, you're going to complete a lot of passes. But at the end of the day, he has not played to the level he's capable of. I think he just needs to stop pressing a little bit because um, he's seeing everything, that's for sure. Um, he just needs to stop pressing. And I think that will probably come this week. We'll see. But the other biggest problem, guys, well, there's, there's several. But the offensive line is not blocking well for the running game. They can't get a running game going. They've become predictable. And the defense, the two best players on the defense, uh, Devin White, uh, the two linebackers, Devin White and, and Levante David, 
are just out to lunch. They're not communicating with each other. They don't. They're, they're, they seem lost. They're missing tackles. They're missing gaps. They're missing assignments. I think the biggest problem with this team right now is they, they can't stop the run. This team can not effectively run the ball and still probably put points on the board because you got Tom Brady. Now they're having trouble getting in the red zone and doing it. But the biggest problem for the Bucks right now is they can't stop the run and they can't stop a decent passer. So um, they are really struggling defensively, and I think that was the one area. Look, early on in the year, that's what carried them. And I think we all realized that, you know, with Todd Bowles in charge, that's where their strength could be uh, going forward if they have any issues. And now um, now they need the offense to kind of bail them out a little bit. So things have changed a little bit in Tampa, and it's it's um, it's a bit of a mess. And it's hard to know where they're going to go until we see it uh, for ourselves. And I think they're going to have to put two or three games together like that before anybody can actually say, okay, they figured it out and they're back on the right on the right path. Roger? Yeah, Roy, what's happened to the defense? You hit the nail on the head about the way it started. And, uh, you know, uh, I mean, Todd Bowles is still the coach. Uh, is, is it injuries? Is it lack of concentration? What? Well, I don't think it's injuries, although they've lost Shaq Barrett now. They lost him, you know, midway through the game last week, um, but they weren't playing well before that anyway. Um, I think, again, the biggest problem to me is, for whatever reason, uh, Levante David and Devin White, the top, the top, the middle linebackers, are just, like I said, they're just out to lunch. They're, they're, not, they're, they're not playing at the high level they can. Um, they're not carrying out their assignments. They're in the wrong place. I don't know, and I don't know why that's happened. I mean, that's not the kind of – certainly Levante David is not that kind of player. Devin White has never been that kind of player. These two, these two guys are very detail-oriented. And I'm just starting to wonder. I'm, I'm wondering if there's just a little bit of complacency has settled in with these guys, that things were going so well that maybe they let up a little bit and said, hey, we got this, and which is the worst thing you can ever say. I'll never forget Monty Kiffin. Uh, saying, I, I never want to hear one of my players say, I got this, because as soon as you say, I got this, well, somebody's going to get you. And I think that maybe is, is part of what, what's happened here. Teams have figured out that, you know, they can. Uh, there, there are ways to run against this team. I think the front four is not, or the front three, that, that front seven, actually, not as strong as it was. They're, I think they might miss Indomitian Sue, because Vita Vey is solid, but I was just going to say, Roy, the guts are really what's been hurting them. I mean, they can't stop. Yeah. They can't stop that three to five yard run right up the middle. Yeah, and again, that's the two linebackers, and it's the nose tackle, uh, which is Vita Vea, and he has not played well, and he's tiring quickly. Uh, look, he's a big man, and it's it's hard for him to play sixty snaps. Uh, and teams are taking advantage of that when he's in there, when he's out, when he's out, they're taking advantage of it. If you can run on the Bucks. You can keep Brady off the field. You can score against them, and uh, you can force his team to start passing at times they don't want to. And uh, uh, until Brady gets on the right page, that passing game is not going to be a weapon. So a lot has happened here, and you know they have had some injuries in the secondary. Uh, and I think you know they're, they're not getting a lot of fill from the safeties. But uh, again, you'd expect this front seven to play a lot better, and it just hasn't. Roy, you've uh, covered it for over 25 years, and, uh, so you are as close to the to the Bucks as anyone. But I, we have it for oh, a number of weeks now. Talked about your new job, and uh, let's give you a chance to uh, give the new job a little bit of a promotion and and uh, let the folks know what you're doing outside of the world of sports. 
Well, outside of the world of sports, I am uh, in essence the managing managing editor uh, for the Florida Healthcare News. We're a marketing newspaper. Uh, we write about medical successes. Uh, somebody's had cataract surgery, or uh, they got a sore back, or uh, you know, a sore knee, arthritis, that kind of thing. Um, our clients are doctors who uh, take care of these problems, and um, and uh, it's a very informative uh, newspaper. Uh, we have 26 editions throughout the state of Florida, and we also have a website it's called IFoundMyDoctor.com, and uh, which is a little bit of a – it's a mouthful. IFoundMyDoctor.com, all lowercase, all one word, doctor spelled out. If you take a look there, you will – I promise, uh, if you're interested in it, uh, you'll learn something. You'll learn something about a condition that you or some family member or friend may have and, and a way to, to fix it. That, uh, that that w- that won't uh, rob you of all your savings and everything else, and uh, uh, make you feel a lot better and um, help you uh, you know get through life. And uh, that's what we're all about. We're about uh, medical successes and um, helping people find uh, the doctor and the care that they need for uh, some of the most common problems that affect uh, all of us uh, in this day and age. Roy, as always, thank you very much for the first half hour. Look forward to next week and. See whether Mr. Brady and uh, the Bucks can sort of get a resurgence and get off that three-game losing streak. Thank you very much. Already looking Have forward to it, guys. Week, Enjoy the game tonight. Take care, yeah, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Our next guest, a legitimate Hall of Famer. And uh, when we talk about Ray Dittinger, uh, almost everything connected with the Philadelphia Eagles, with the National Football League, with NFL films, with books, with plays. Ray Dittinger has been involved and. In, and uh, invited into the Hall of Fame. And, Ray, first of all, nice to have you back with us. And secondly, uh, nobody covered the Eagles for a longer period of time and better than you did. Some of your thoughts are their great start. Yeah, pretty amazing, Don. Uh, it's, um, you know, they're right now it's equaled the best start in franchise history. Uh, and if they, uh, if they win tomorrow night down in Houston, uh, it will then officially be the best start in franchise history. Uh, and um, I don't think, I don't think anybody outside of outside of the their, the team, the locker room, the front office saw this one coming, and maybe even some of them didn't. Uh, I don't know that anybody thought that. I think everybody thought that after last year, the fact that the team made real strides uh, and made it to the playoffs. Uh, that, that that they would be a good team this year and that they would be in the mix. But I, I don't know that anybody would have told you that they were going to be the last unbeaten team uh, and sitting right where they are now with, um, you know, with a very, very good chance to, uh, um, you know, be the NFC representative in the Super Bowl. I mean, they really, if you look at, you, you look around the NFC, and I just heard you talking to Roy about, about the Bucks and where the Bucks are right now. Um, you look around the, the NFC right now, the Eagles look like the best team, and uh, and they're, you know, I don't think the, I don't think the Houston Texans are going to derail them tomorrow night. So uh, with each week, they just uh, their chances of of getting to the big game just seem to get better and better. Roger Hitler, go to it. Hey, Roy, I'll tell you, Ray. I said last week, Howie Roseman went from the outhouse to the top of the mountain in the last couple of years with all the activity. But I also wanted to ask you, how do you are you enjoying retirement? <laughs> well, uh, you're kind of going to get a couple different versions of of that. Um, I am, <laughs> I guess you would say, I guess you would say, officially retired uh, because I, I announced uh, 
my retirement from WIP full-time and from NBC Sports Philly full-time at the end of May when my contract ran out. Um, I sort of said my goodbye then, uh, but, you know, did not foresee uh, the Phillies making a run to the World Series, uh, did not foresee the Eagles sitting here uh, undefeated with maybe a real shot at the Super Bowl. Uh, the landscape in Philadelphia has changed dramatically since May. So um, even though technically I'm retired, uh, the phone has not stopped ringing. So I'm retired, but I'm really not retired. It's probably the best way of putting it. Right, well, interesting. Yeah, you go back goal. to the mid-70s, uh, and, of course, then we were in an era where the 76ers were winning, the Eagles were winning, Flyers were winning, Phillies were winning, and we've come back to that era right now. Uh, everybody in Philadelphia, even the soccer even the soccer contingent uh, and MLS, even they're playing for the championship. So Philadelphia is surrounded by talent at the moment. Seems that way, yeah. And you could even throw the Penn Quakers football team in there. They're they're mm-hmm. leading the um, they're leading the Ivy League. So uh, yeah, I mean, everywhere you turn in the city right now, everybody's winning. And it's you know, Don, you you spend enough time here that you know how the, this fan base is and how excited people get. And uh, you know, we live downtown now, and everywhere you go, I mean, all you see are people in Phillies hats and Eagle sweatshirts and. Uh, everywhere you look, it's 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 a sea of red or it's a sea of green, and it's it's a great time. It's a, it's a great time to be here, and you know people are genuinely are, are genuinely excited about it, and they have reason to be. I mean, the Phillies thing kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, for the most for the better part of the start of the season, I mean they were I mean they were a big disappointment. I mean they were 21 and 29 at the point where they fired Girardi, uh, and then right after that they they caught fire. And, you know, played really good, got themselves to the edge of the playoffs, and then looked like they were going to throw it all away the last week of the regular season. I mean, they get swept out in Chicago. You know, they go to Washington and they lose a game in Washington, the first game with doubleheader, like 12-2. to They lost like five in a row the last week of the season, and it looked like they were going to blow the whole playoffs. But it's funny, it, it was like as soon as they, once they sort of, I mean, they limped in. There's no question about that. But once they got in, it was like the pressure was off, you know. I mean, it was. I think the the, the pressure they were feeling was the pressure to get in because they hadn't been in the postseason in 11 years, and it really looked at the end that they were going to choke it away. But once they managed to get in, it was they became a totally different team. They became really loose, and it was like the pressure was off. Okay, nobody thought we were going to be here, but we got here now. Let's just go have some fun. And uh, you know, they took out the Cardinals in straight sets, and they've been you know, and and they've been a juggernaut ever since. Roger. Well, you know, I said earlier, uh, Ray, that the uh, person I'm happiest for is Dan Baker uh, to have a World Series <laughs> in his 50th uh, anniversary, you know, doing the uh, PA, and especially with everything he's been through. But the, they have been a surprise. I mean, uh, I, I certainly didn't. And I know uh, before you retired, the way things were going, you didn't think so. Glenn didn't think so. Nobody thought so. And and here no, they no, are. No. Yeah. You're right. Go yeah, ahead. yeah. It's it it it's, uh, it 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 was unexpected. Um, when they put the team together in spring training, um, uh, I mean, I looked at the, you know, I wasn't sure what they had in the bullpen. I mean, there were a lot of question marks in the bullpen. Uh, and the team, when they, you looked at them on the field, I mean, you, you saw the bats. I mean, you knew that you, you had the feeling they were going to hit and they were going to score. Um, but they were, I mean, they were just a god awful defensive team. Uh, early in the season. I mean, the outfield was terrible. 
you know, the corner, the, you know, the third, first baseman and the third baseman can't play their positions. I mean, they were they were a brutal defensive team early in the season, and they weren't playing very smart baseball. They were giving games away on the bases. They were they were just they were really really couldn't get out of their own way for the first two months of the season, and the fans were really down on them. Uh, but after the you know they, after they fired Girardi and they promoted Thompson. Um, it, it's funny, my son is a cameraman at the stadium. Uh, my son is a cameraman. He works for NFL Films, but he also works for NBC Sports Philly. And so mm-hmm. he's, he's working a camera at every Phillies home game. And his, his position most nights is, is right next to the Phillies dugout. He has the camera right next to the Phillies dugout. So he's sort of right there on the edge of the dugout the whole time. And he said to me, like one week after the change was made, he said, Dad, I'm telling you, that, that, that they're like a different team. They're like a different team. He said, and I'm telling you, you're going to think I'm crazy by saying this, but they're going to turn this thing around, and they're going to make the playoffs. Now, he said this one week after the managerial change of just looking at the, just looking at the players, just looking at the, um, looking at the mood in the dugout, uh, that, that he just felt like it's a different team, and they're going to get out, and they're going to start playing right now. And it happened. I mean, it, it really started to happen. And you really thought that after the Harper injury, you know, when Harper gets hit by the pitch, and now you know you're going to lose him for two months, you kind right. of figure, well, they're not going to they're not going to be able to survive that. But when they did, uh, and then they got him back, and you know, they they sort of hung in there and they hung in the race until he got back. And then once he got back, man, he has just been, you know, I mean, this, it's, he, I mean, he's like Roy Hobbs now. I mean, if that's, I mean, when you're watching when you're watching the games now, every time he comes up in a big spot, you just expect him not just to get a hit, but to knock it out of the park. <laughs> Is your son one of the interesting things is the contrast between we talk about the championship teams when you go back. And yeah, you know, it was Steve Carlton. Yeah, Steve Carlton had to win. Steve Carlton had to win because when you went to the second, tertiary, and fourth line pitchers, it was always a question mark. But you always had outstanding defense with the exception of left field. Lazinski had his troubles out there, which proved to be a disaster against the Dodgers that that fatal game. But Right. This this team is entirely different. I mean, this team was a disaster in the field, and now right field is he's like Carl Farillo. I mean, this guy's playing. You can't believe it. <laughs> I know, I know, and he's you know, and he's always been you know, he's always been a a, um, a poor defensive player, right? Uh, a liability, a, a liability actually, and he was earlier in the season. I mean, he played to that earlier in the season. But now in the postseason, I mean he's made a couple of he's made a couple of really, really big plays out there defensively. And big times. Um, big times in the game. Yeah, yeah, I mean it just it just reminds me it kinda of reminds me of, of like the Mets in sixty nine when Swoboda made the you know, the guy who makes the big defensive play is Swoboda right. who also is a lummox in the field. You know, I made he, that makes, exact, he makes, was doing a show earlier today. I made that exact comparison. I said, This is Ron Swoboda in twenty two. Now there you go. So you and I are thinking along the same lines. I was thinking the same thing uh, because you know when you think about that that you know that great Mets series and the great Mets uh, uh, amazing win in the series against Baltimore, the best defensive play of the series was made by probably the worst defensive player. And uh, right. but it was just a ma- it was it was just a magical year for the Mets, and you're seeing a little bit of the same kind of magic happening with the Phillies now. Roger. Well, I'll tell you one thing, Roy. The uh, price of tickets on the secondary market for these games is unbelievable. And uh, even for standing room only, and it seems like the fans never sit down. I mean, every game they're just constantly uh, cheering, and uh, it's amazing. They they say the 
the audio uh, volume is just so bad, so high, I should say, that uh, you have to be careful on your cell phone. You probably have heard that yourself. Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no question that the, the crowd is a force in this game. I mean, you don't, you don't really think about it that much in baseball, but um, there are certain places where it can be that, and it's that in Philadelphia right now. And uh, Harper, has, Harper has said that pretty much every, every, after every home game, that, uh, hey, listen, the crowd here, they're a big part of this. You know, they, you know they, they really rattle the other team, and they lift our team. And you see it. You, abs- you absolutely see it. And uh, Bird I know here – Yeah, well – yeah, well, Bert Hooten's a really good example of what happened. I mean, that uh, you know, there was. <laughs> I it's so funny. I I still remember the Bert Hooten game uh, at the vet um, because I had done. I was still working for the Philadelphia Bulletin then, and I was covering this. I was covering the postseason. I was covering the Phillies, and um, I interviewed Bert Hooten two days before that game uh, I, while I was out in Los Angeles. Uh, I wanted to put a story in my in my notepad. To uh, to write the day before uh, Hoot was going to Hoot was going to pitch in Philly, so uh, he was one night before the game he was he was just sitting in the dugout by himself, and I went over and I started talking to him, and he had had a really good year that year, uh, and uh, was talking to him about the difference in in his career and the difference that that year had been, uh, and he was saying, oh, the best thing that ever happened to me was I I, I met this guy who was a sports psychologist. Uh, and I began meeting with him a couple times a week. And, you know, I used to have a lot of emotional problems. I used to get really rattled, and I'd get mad at the umpire, and I'd get mad at my teammates. And I would, mentally I would take myself out of games. But, you know, I've been working with this sports psychologist, and he got me past all that. So that was the story that I wrote that ran in the paper the day, the day that he went out to pitch that game against the <laughs> Phillies. And of, course, and, of course, what happened was as soon as, you know, as, soon as he, uh, he threw a couple of pitches that he thought that the umpire was squeezing him, you know, then he started flailing his arms and hollering at the umpire, and the crowd saw that, and then the crowd started getting on him. And then it just got worse and worse to the point where he just, he just melted down. I mean, he just melted down there in full view of in full view of 65,000 people, uh, and everybody in the press box everybody in the press box was pointing at me and laughing it's because because the story that I had written that day was how you know this sports psychologist had totally had totally transformed Bert Hooten and had gotten him past all these emotional problems, and here he was on that day just literally throwing the game away. Hall of Fame writer, broadcaster, and of course the guy we love to have on the program, Ray Zittiger. Roger, you're up. Well, you know, uh, Ray, I'll tell you, uh, I believe John Schmoltz said that the loudest crowd he ever heard probably up until now uh, was that 93 uh, team, uh, you know, that uh, went to the World Series. And, right. uh, you know, and, of course, that would have been at the bed. And just like you said, there you got 65,000 people. So, and, and I think also that uh, with, when you have a circular uh, stadium, uh, can make a difference too. Just like if you have a dome, it's going to make a difference. But uh, the, the, what I'm hoping is that uh, Nolan, Nolan can I really I just uh, he got through the first inning even with one hit. That that's who I'm concerned about. And I don't I like your thoughts about uh, him. Well, I mean he's um, he can be very good or he can be really bad. I mean he's been he's been both this year at various times. Uh, up and down, um, and we've seen it. Um, we've seen it in the postseason too. I mean, earlier in the postseason, he and Wheeler were just about unhittable early in the postseason. Exactly. 
Uh, and then, you know, then we get to the World Series, and, you know, he gets to start in game one and really gets rocked. And so tonight was going to be, okay, you know, which, which Aaron Nola are we going to get tonight? Are we going to get the, you know, are we going to get the lights out Nola, or are we going to get, uh, you know, the guy we saw in game one? He's capable of both. I mean, he's got, um, he's got really good stuff. Uh, and when he's spotting, when he, you know, when he's locating his fastball to set up his breaking ball, he can be really good. Uh, if he's not quite there, if his command is just a little bit off, uh, and hitters can kind of sit on their pitch and wait for it, you know, he gives up a lot of home runs in those situations. Uh, it's sort of feast or famine with him, you know, and, uh, uh, obviously he's one of your key guys. He and Wheeler are your two guys and you need to get them going. And, um, you know, I, Everybody was there. Yeah, maybe the home field tonight will be, you know, maybe the home field tonight will help them. You know, that maybe the fans behind him will help them a little bit. Uh, but uh, they need him They need him to come up big. If they're going to win the series, you know, and then everybody, it's funny here in Philadelphia, everybody's feeling like the series is over. Uh, yeah, I mean, right. if you walk the streets, if you walk the streets today, I mean, that was the sense of it you got is, you know, people are not expecting this thing to go back to Houston. I mean, if you, you know, the people, the mood in the city right now is, you know, we're going to end this thing. To, you know, we're going to win tonight. We're going to win tomorrow. We're going to end this. We're going to have the parade on Friday. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and, and I've told a few people, don't be so, don't be so quick to say that. I mean, Houston, Houston, ain't, they ain't dead yet. And this kid that's pitching for them tonight is, is really good. Uh, yeah. So I know the Phillies are red hot, and I know they're going to have the crowd behind them and the towels are going to be waving and everything. But, you know, I know enough about the, this team, and I've seen the Astros enough this year, that, uh, to me, this thing is not in the bag yet. Ray, I also think uh, maybe you're closer to it because, you know, we're down, I'm down in Florida, Rogers down in Atlanta, so I don't have a chance to see all the local papers or be as close to it, but... Uh, I was I was a little surprised they didn't hold Wheeler back. Uh, they talked about the knee injury. It must be a little bit more than they talked about that they pitched him in that second game, and he just didn't have the velocity. He was off about two or three uh, miles an hour, uh, and now they're going to hold him down again and give him another extra day. Where, where, what do you see there? Same thing. I you just yeah. I think I think you hit it. Um, there's no question, and they they admitted this. His velocity was was definitely down the last game, and you saw it. Oh yeah. Um, and so you know, and they, you know, that's that's not good. You know, I mean, that this Houston team, they can, you know, they got they got some pretty good bats themselves. Everybody's talking about the Phillies' offense. Now the Houston team has some pretty good bats too, and uh, you know they need Wheeler to be at his best uh, to to work his way through this lineup. But you saw in the last in the last outing he. He was not himself, you know. He's he he had lost he had lost a little bit off the fastball, just enough for them to get around on it. So, yeah, I mean that's 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 going to be a question. And that's why I'm that's why I'm sort of still saying this. I, you know, maybe you know maybe it will be that easy. You know, maybe the fans are all right, and maybe the Eagles the, the Phillies mojo is is so strong right now that they're just going to blow through this thing and and you know and win it and win it tomorrow night. I'd be a little surprised. I mean, I've, I think this Houston team is really good. Uh, no, I don't think they're out of it yet. No, I think they're jumping on the bandwagon a little bit too quickly. I think they've got a way I'll tell you, I've seen Houston play a lot of games, and they've got a lot of weapons. Uh, I, I, as much as I want to see the Phillies win, i got a little bit of a tug on my heart for Dusty Baker. I mean, Dusty's been there now so many times that something always goes wrong. And now he comes into this series against a team that was really just a just a whisper away from not making the playoffs at all. And now he's down two games to one. 
So I feel a little sorry for Dusty Baker. Roger, you're up. Well, I wanted to move over to the NFL. And uh, how about the success of Hertz, Ray? Uh, you know, people were down. The uh, Eagles were going to need another quarterback. But, boy, I'll tell you, he's, of course, uh, you know, with what he has now as a cadre of receivers uh, helps. But he really looks great. He really does. He's, I mean, he's playing, he's playing really, really good. And I know, I know this off season, I was, you know, I, there, there was all the talk this off season about, you know, they need to trade for a quarterback. The Eagles have all these draft picks. They have three number one picks. They're in a perfect position to put together a package, you know, and trade for Russell Wilson or trade for Aaron Rodgers or, you know, swing the big door or trade for Deshaun Watson. I mean, all that talk was out there. And if you, the, 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 the true sentiment was the fans wanted them to do it. You know, the fans were saying, you know, these quarterbacks are available, uh, and we got three first-round draft picks. Let's go do it. And I was staunchly on the other side. I mean, I, I, mean, I was saying, are you I, listen? I, have you, any of you people seen Russell Wilson play in the last couple of years? You know, I mean, <laughs> he ain't what he. I'm sorry. I, I, I really like the guy, and he was he was a really good player. But he ain't the same player anymore. You're, you're talking no. about giving up three first-round draft picks for this, this Russell Wilson? Are you crazy? And, you know, and I said, that, look, if you look at the way Hertz had improved each year in his career, I mean, starting with freshman year in Alabama, then, you know, then the Oklahoma version of him, and then the NFL version of him, I mean, he got better, not just a little bit, but dramatically better year to year to year. I mean, you just see the arc of his career, and you just saw this is a guy that he's just, he's just working his butt off to improve. Uh, and I said, look, last year he came in, and his first year as a starter, and he took you to the playoffs. You know, so, you know, why are you in such a hurry to go trade for an old quarterback? You know, you might have your quarterback, you might have your quarterback right here. But you're not going to know it unless you give them a chance to play. So use the draft to bring in players and fill out the other positions where you need some help. But let the quarterback go play. You may find out you've got your quarterback right here. And that's kind of what happened. That, that was the decision they made. They, they entrusted it to Hertz. And, and he's just played, I mean, he's played to the point where, I mean, people are talking about, you know, him as a viable MVP candidate. And I think at this point you probably have to say that he is. Roger, you're uh, having a tough time in this 22 season. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how Brady continues on. He, he, we've had, of course, down here we see a lot. He does his, uh, his, his show, and he also does has a lot of information in the paper almost every day. But uh, the two of them are going to come on hard times in 22. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I really kind of thought that um... – in fact, I was telling my wife this when when the news came out that Brady had um, had announced he was going to come back. Um, I said, I think he's making a big mistake. I think he's going to be sorry he's doing this uh, because I agree. You know, I I, I saw the, you know the the fact that he he was losing a couple of his offensive linemen to free agency. Uh, yeah, uh, Marpet, who had become a really good player, was retiring, and nobody really saw that one coming. But he retired, and that was a big loss. You know, and then the center, who I think was probably the best guy on the whole line, he gets hurt. Uh, and now all of a sudden you've got a 45-year-old quarterback, a great one, but still a 45-year-old quarterback playing behind a bad offensive line. And he also had lost Gronkowski. You know, and Bruce say, Aaron, right? He saves on everything to try to get Gronkowski to retire, but he's not even listening. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and Bruce Arians steps aside and Todd Bowles takes over. And, uh, I mean, there was just – 
a lot of stuff happening there where I just I just looked at the Bucks and said this is a team this is a team that's going to take a step back this year, you know, and I I don't think Brady's going to be good enough at this point to save it by himself. Now I didn't foresee the Giselle Bunchen part of it, you know. I didn't I didn't call that part of it. But the idea that things were going to be a little rough for him on the field, not off the field, but on the field, was to me no surprise. And you know, listen, they might they might wind up being saved by how bad their division is. You know, they still might be able to salvage something out of this and maybe sneak right. into the playoffs as as the best team in a bad division. But I mean, you if they get into the postseason. They're not, you know, I mean, you look at that team right now, and they're not built to go very far. Roger, you wrap it up with Ray Zinniger. Mike's ready to go with us in a couple of minutes, so uh, go right to it. Last question of the night. Well, Ray, you and I go back many years to the Philadelphia Ramblers at the arena and and, mm-hmm. and love the Flyers and love hockey. And isn't it uh, encouraging to see that the Flyers with John Tortorella uh, seem to have turned the corner, and they've got talent, and they're doing a much better job, and they're off to a pretty good start. Yeah, they are off to a pretty good start, um, and Tortorella, I think, has helped. I mean, we all know that he's a good coach, um, but, I mean, the key to this whole thing has been Carter Hart. I mean, he has been uh, – he has, he, has, he has won them a couple of games that another goalie would not have. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's, he's a young guy who they drafted with the hope that he was going to be their – you know, their their backbone, their great young goaltender. And, he's, and frankly, he's had his ups and downs. But this year, I mean, he has played spectacularly well. Uh, and he's gotten them a couple points and he's gotten them a couple wins that rightly they probably didn't deserve. Uh, but he's he has played that well. But I think over the course, and I don't know if they're going to be able to sustain this over the course of a season. But you see that night in and night out, they're just a, they're just a tougher, more competitive team under Tortorella than they were last year when they just, I mean, there were a lot of nights where they, I mean, they made, you know, they just weren't even really competitive. I mean, they'd, they'd fall behind in the first period and, and basically just skate it out. But now you're, you're not going to do that if Tortorella's behind the bench, that's for sure. I mean, he, he had one game earlier this year where he sat a couple of his better players in the third period because he didn't like the way they were playing. Konechny, who was their leading scorer, I mean, Tortorella didn't even give him a shift in the third period because he didn't like the way he was playing defense. So, that's the kind of coach that he is. He's going to be very demanding, and he's going to get the best out of what he's got. But the best player he's got now by far is his young goaltender, who has been just terrific so far. Our guest this half hour, Ray Zinniger, Hall of Fame writer, Hall of Fame broadcaster, Hall of Fame playwright. And uh, in closing, Ray, just a quick note, uh, how did the play season go this summer? Very well. Uh, it, was a, it was really good, Don. We brought the play uh, to – where, where I always wanted to, I wanted to bring it to Hershey, Pennsylvania. I wanted to bring it to the Hershey Theater, because that's really where the story of Tommy McDonald and me started. You know, where I first, when I was a 10-year-old kid, met, met Tommy up at the Eagles training camp, which was then in Hershey, 1957. And that was where I met him the first time. That's where I got his autograph. That's where he asked me to carry his helmet. And that's where our friendship began. And that's where the whole story of Tommy and me really started. And so... I always kind of hoped that one day we could bring the story back to its point of origin. <laughs> and uh, in August, we got that opportunity. We took it to the Hershey Theater, uh, and we had three great nights there. We, we played there for a whole weekend, a Thursday, a Friday, a Saturday, uh, and drew, two, drew, drew 2,000 people uh, for the three wow. performances. Uh, and uh, Dick Vermeil, who was fresh from being enshrined in the Hall of Fame, and his wife came uh, came to Hershey to see it for the third time. <laughs> uh, so it was it was a great experience, and uh, 
there is there is talk that I and I'm pretty optimistic that we will actually be bringing the play back again in 2023. Uh, this time to a really nice theater uh, called the Performing Arts Center in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I think we're probably going to be coming there either in August or September of 2023. Ray Dittinger, well, thank you so very very much. As always, we'll get together again soon after the baseball season is over and. Of course, follow the Eagles right down to however far they go to the Super Bowl. Okay, well, you know where to find me. Ray, <laughs> thanks so much as always. God bless. Hey, it was Take a great care. pleasure. Yeah, great pleasure being with you. Take care, Roger. Take care, Donald. Be good. Take care, partner. You too. Mike Schultz, our guest that coming up. Mike, of course, the director of communications, the Black West Bowl, and uh, we're looking forward to talking football. Boy, we got what a weekend of football we've got. First of all, starting off with Tennessee surprising some people being named the number one team right now in the first week of the polls. And, and Mike, the last time we talked about it, you talked about the polls and how they love to make uh, make that a, a voice of commentary so everybody talks about it, regardless of whether they're right or wrong. Mike, welcome back to the show. Well, uh, thanks, guys. But, you know, I, I you, you're, you're killing me, you know, having to follow these great guests that you have on each week. So... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but at any rate, um, we want yeah, you to we want you right. to keep the level up. Well, I, I appreciate it. you're you're making me yeah making me work hard. Um, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, you, great great point there. Yeah, I think uh, I think a few surprises. Uh, uh, I, I I don't know about the surprise. I, I I think a lot of people sort of probably felt like Tennessee, just how much they've just been not only just winning but dominating game in and game out. And of course, obviously the win against Alabama, you know, was a huge quality win for him. Um, so I, I don't know if that's a big surprise to, to slide them up uh, a hair to, to number one. Uh, I was sort of su- surprised that they dropped, um, you know, or, or I wouldn't say drop, but they, they positioned Georgia at number three, considering they've been number one in the other polls, you know, for the most, t- most part um, all year. Um, I, I, especially with the Tennessee Georgia game coming up this weekend, I mean, you know, that, that's going to be, that's all going to be decided this in a few days anyway. So I was surprised that they, they started them out, um, you know, down at number three, but, but at any rate, I mean, it, it is what it is and it's all just rankings and guesses right now because, you know, they, there's, there's just too many big games left. I mean, the, the fun part about this the, right now though, is that, You've got so many of these teams uh, in the top, you know, 20 or 25, or even certainly the top 10, that are going to end up playing a lot of big conference games coming in the next few weeks, and it's all going to shuffle out, and nobody really knows which way it's going to go. You got Ohio State, Michigan, got to square off. You get Tennessee, Georgia squaring off, and all the other guys have some really big games too. I mean, Alabama's got to play LSU and Ole Miss in the next two weeks, so. There's a lot that can happen, um, but as we always say, you know, every week, you know, something happens you don't expect, and it's just a matter of waiting to see what the next unexpected game is going to be. Roger, you're not in Athens, but you are in Atlanta. You're very close to it, uh, both the Falcons and, of course, this game with Georgia that everybody's talking about this weekend. We talked about it a little bit in the first hour of the show. Uh, your thoughts, go to it. Well, you know, Mike, I wanted to talk about the uh, that uh, the uh, uh, Tennessee being uh, number one uh, for the uh, playoffs. And uh, I substitute teach and the kids several weeks ago 
uh, before the Alabama game told me they were going to beat Alabama, and of course now they're going to beat Georgia. Uh, but uh, we were talking about that today, that if Tennessee does beat Georgia, uh, it's, it, it, is it possible, in your opinion, that they won't even be in the playoffs? Well, you, you know, it's going to be really interesting because, um, I mean, and that's a good point, too, because let's just say, let's just pretend, I, I think the bigger question is this, and I don't know the answer, but, you know, it, had they left Georgia at number one, and then say Tennessee beats Georgia in a competitive game, you know, obviously Georgia's going to fall right, you know, below Tennessee in one way or another. They're going to switch spots or whatever. But how far would they fall? But having Georgia now at number three, which I think is right, number three I have in front of me, and they, if they lose to Tennessee, now they drop out of the top four for sure, probably, right? So, and then are they able to work their way back? So, that, that's the thing about some of these rankings and the polls and where they have them is that, you know, a lot of times you, you go, you know, you, your, your end result is determined a little bit by where you, you started from, if you will. And, um, and so I, I think that's sort of an interesting aspect, like you said, that they, that they dropped them down before they even played Tennessee. Um, and, and that's a good question. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I think another surprise too, you got Clemson in there. I mean, uh, yeah. Ohio State, what a game they had against Penn State. I mean, uh, I've seen now yeah. three of their games so far, and uh, they're just a, just a terrific, terrific team. But when you talk about they Ohio are. State, they've got to play Michigan. So one of, the, one of those two teams is going to lose a game, even if they, even if they don't lose one before yeah. that. So now you've right. got, well, here's you got Georgia thing. going here's down losing too, a game. You've got Tennessee maybe losing a game. You've got Ohio State losing a game. You've got Clemson losing a game. Now where do you go? Yeah. Well, and that's, that's really interesting, like you said, because right now there's six undefeated teams. At least two of them have to lose because, you know, because they play each other, right? I mean, right. you know, four of the teams, you know. So, so there can't be any more than four undefeated teams potentially on the board at the end, but, you know, in all likelihood, at least one of those other four are, are going to lose also. So then what happens? Right. But here, here's the other thing is tennis. And, and I, and, and my son's a Georgia fan. So, and I talked to him about this last year when Georgia played Alabama, I said, well, and they were losing Alabama in the, in the conference championship game. I said, well, you know, if they, they the loser of this game is probably going to go to the playoffs anyways. I said, and if you want to beat Alabama, you you got to beat them. For, it'd be better to beat them for the national championship game instead of the SEC championship game. And the reason I mention that is because with Tennessee, you know, let's say Tennessee beats Georgia this week, okay? Well, that's they're gonna that's probably gonna solidify them going to the SEC championship game. But what if they end up having to face Alabama then in a rematch in the SEC championship game? You know, um, that, it's hard to beat somebody twice in a, in a season. It's really hard to beat Alabama. I don't care who you are. And especially <laughs> it went down to the last three so, seconds, the last time. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I'm saying. So, so what hap- what happens? And again, we're just throwing stuff out. But what happens if Tennessee beats Georgia in a close game this week? They hold on. They go to this SEC championship. Ten- Alabama survives the West Division and goes and meets Alabama, then or meets Tennessee in, in, in Atlanta for the SEC championship, what happens if, if, if then Alabama beats Tennessee and Georgia's 
you know, sitting there. It's like, well, then what happens? You got, you got, you got, you know, Alabama up there is the SEC champion with one loss. You got Tennessee with one loss, but to Alabama, and you could have Georgia with sitting there with one loss, you know, to Tennessee, and somebody's going to be left out of the game. I'm telling you. So, it's, and then Roger. meanwhile, you could have a you could have an undefeated Clemson and undefeated Ohio State sitting there or Michigan. So right. then, what do you do? <laughs> Well, Glad I don't I have to make those about, decisions, Roger. Yeah, I, I tell you uh, what, Mike, it was interesting. I mentioned it earlier. Uh, to go to watch the game in Athens at this one restaurant, it's a $200 cover to uh, get in the <laughs> restaurant to watch the game. And, uh, you know, you might, well, stand outside Sanford Stadium, okay, you know, and have right. your, uh, your phone and watch it if you want to be right. a little bit of uh, the atmosphere. But I think it just goes to show you how big this game is on Saturday. Well, it, it is. And, you know, it's fun to watch, right? I mean, this is, this is, this is, this is huge. I mean, what a huge game uh, to, to have two teams in the, in the same, not only in the same conference, in the same division of the conference, and have this be such a big game on a national scale. Um, and it's been a while since it has been, right? Um, I mean, it, it, back in the day, you know, Florida, Tennessee was always the big game in the SEC East, you know, every year to determine, the, you know, who was going to win the SEC East for a long time. Um, and, of course, you know, now it's, you know, it's come sort of full, not full circle, but around to the point where now, you know, Georgia, Tennessee is the big, is the big game not only for the SEC East, but for, you know, the, like what we're talking about for the, the national, you know, playoff picture. So um, it, it's, these are the type of, type of games you want to play in. These are the type of games you want to coach in. These are the type of games you want on a fa- as a fan to, to watch. Um, it's just, it's just such great drama. And, and I can't wait to, to see what happens. Mike Schulte is our special guest this uh this period of the show, Director of Communications for the ReliQuest Bowl, and uh, we also will mention the ReliQuest Bowl will be on the 2nd of January this year because of the way the calendar falls, and uh, so it will we'll be on the 2nd. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But, uh, Mike, as we look over the entire uh, picture, you know, one of the disappointing things uh, about college uh, football, and, and we talk about all the great things and all the great teams we've just mentioned, but, uh, you know, uh, it's not all it's not all sun and roses. I mean, look what's happened at Auburn this week. Now, you know, he, he's got to get a he's got to get a buy out of thirty million dollars for being fired. <laughs> I want that job. <laughs> yeah, we all do. Yeah, you know, well, yeah. I mean, that's that's you know, it it just shows you the how big these decisions are. Um, and, and, you know, when you're making these decisions of hiring the coaches and, and the pressure that's on these coaches uh, to win um, and to win now. Um, and, you know, they don't get a lot of time uh, to, to uh, you know, uh, to build up a team or to rebuild a team. Um, you know, people want, want winners. They want action. And, and when you're – especially when you're in a, a, a conference like the SEC – which has so much talent and so many uh, great teams, which of course only makes it more difficult for a new coach to come in 
and build yeah, up the team, right? Um, yeah, he was it's nine just, and it's twelve, but he's three and five this year. That's why they sign these big contracts because they know they may not be there very long. <laughs> you got that right, Roger. Like the NFL, not for long, Mike. Okay, <laughs> it's that way in the coaching. Well, profession. there's a saying in the NFL that 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 every year a third of the teams, you know, coaches are in great shape. A third of the teams are in okay shape. And a third of the coaches are on the hot seat every single year. <laughs> and it just depends on what, what, on what, on what group you're in. <laughs> and, and if you, and if you don't make it somewhere, then someone else will bring you in and you'll be their savior to come in and, and save their team. And, and you're good for a little while until, until you're on the hot seat there. And, and uh, just about every, every coach uh, in the professional level and, and, and probably in most major college colleges, has been fired at some point in their career. Um, and so, you know, that's just the nature of the beast, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, it's great entertainment. It's great uh, entertainment, but these four kids are paying so much money to go to school, and these coaches are grabbing $30 million off the top, they get fired. But anyway, let's, let's change, well, you know the, let's change you know the, the subject the, the for just a second. Me about when the coach gets when a head coach gets fired is that they what people a lot of people don't appreciate is that it's it's you know the it's not just a head coach that gets fired because everybody of course points at the head coach as being responsible for whatever happens but um but their entire coaching staffs uh usually yeah. you know get let go as well and and you know sometimes they'll keep a few of them but you know most of the time you know professional or college you know the, the assistant coaches you know, then they have to go find another job, and they're and so you're not talking about one coach getting having to, you know, go somewhere else or whatever who gets the real real big payout. You're talking about a lot of other coaches and all their families having to now uh, relocate and find another right. job and live in another city and and all that. And a lot of the, and some some of those coaches, I mean, some of them get paid real good anyways. But but there's you know the lower end guys on that on the coaching staff don't get paid all that much and. That and is the I've hazards of the business that, in that sphere. That that you know that they they go from job to job based on what happens to their their coach and and uh, and they're bouncing all around like they're a military family for a lot of years until they can you know get on with somebody you you can carry them for a while. So it's it's a tough thing uh, when you you know have to make those decisions, and I, I'm sure they didn't make it very lightly. Mike, I know you were over in Jacksonville. Uh... The world's greatest cocktail party turned out to be a dud. <laughs> well, it depends on who you're rooting for. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, it was if it, you're it, a Gator. You know, I was sitting, in, no, I was sitting on the Georgia side this year, and and they were and they were happy as you could you could be for <laughs> for most of the game, and then in the third quarter they were nervous as all get out um, <laughs> that they that they were going to blow it, and and but it turned out in their favor this time, so. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it, you know it was a great atmosphere though. They, the really neat thing about that game is that for people who've never been there or seen it, they literally uh, split the the stadium down the middle from the middle of the end zone to the middle of the other end zone. And one side, you know, 100 percent of one side is Gator fans, 100 percent of the other side are Georgia fans. So in a stadium that probably seats I don't know, you know, 80,000 or whatever. You literally have forty thousand of each, approximately forty thousand of each of the teams, which normally does never happens because when you play on a campus, you know you you know the the visiting team might get five thousand tickets out of ninety thousand or whatever, 
um, you know, for their fans. But, you know, it's 40 and 40. And so depending on, what you know, the play and which way the, each play goes, you can't tell what state, you know, what whether you're, you know, which team uh, field you're at because the crowd is just so loud. It's as if you're at home regardless right. of which, which team you're rooting for. If, if things go your way on that particular play. So it's, it's a lot of fun. And uh, I, I love the fact that they, they have it that that neutral site and, and can have that kind of atmosphere because it's so unique uh, to the sport. Well, Ledbetter brought us up to date last year saying that they signed a new extension for two years. And then there was, of course, a great deal of comment in all the newspapers uh, prior to the game this last Saturday about are they going to go just one more year and that's going to be it. Uh, you were there. You probably heard more than uh, Roger or I did or Frank. Uh, what's your feeling? Are they going to keep it at Jacksonville or are they going to make a change? Uh, I don't have any inside information, but my gut is that they're going to keep it there. I, you know, there, there's always benefits one way or the other, but they, you know, they're they, they're paid pretty good amount of money for for those games. Um, you know, if you go on camp, I, I know the idea that some of the coaches they want to you know, maybe have a chance to have it on campus, which which should be great. But, you know, the flip side of it, the sort of the way I look at it is, you know, um, like I said, let's say you have 40,000, uh, say you're Georgia, you have 40,000 of your Georgia fans at the game every single year, okay? If you have it home and home, okay, you have 80,000 of your fans and boosters and, and all that, at the game when you're at home and you only have about 5,000 of your fans get to go to the game in the, in the alternate years, Right. you know? So, you know, instead of keeping 40,000 people happy every year, you're keeping, you know, 80,000 people happy, you know, once every other year, you know, and a lot of unhappy people in the off years. So I don't know. I, I just, I think that there's something to be said for both ways, but um, with the tradition they've had and so forth, um, it, it seems from what I've read in the papers and all that, that the, the people that are actually going to make the final decisions on this, which are the, the, the ADs and the presidents and those types of folks, uh, it seems like they, they tend to be leaning towards keeping it, you know, the way it is. So, so we'll see, we'll see, but I, I it is a great experience and a great uh, uh, opportunity to, if you ever have a chance to go to it, just to experience that atmosphere because it is very, very uh, unique and it's not something you, you're going to find anywhere else. Even at a bowl game, um, it's rarely split that evenly in regards to um, uh, the fans because you have, you know, uh, local fans, and it's usually a lot of times not in a location that's that's real uh, close enough to, to both fan bases. So um, I, I think it's, a, like I said, it's almost a one-of-a-kind kind of a experience, and, and I, I think it's pretty cool. Mike, thank you very much. As always, we'll get together next week or the week after. We'll talk about uh, your tickets for the Reliant uh, Quest Bowl, and everybody's looking forward to uh, the new name, looking forward to the new bowl, looking forward to the competition. You've brought together great teams all the years you've been there, Director of Communications, and Mike, thank you so very much for being with us. Thank you, Mike. Have great a great to be week. with you all. Good. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Let's have some fun this weekend. It's going to be exciting. Take Absolutely. care. I'm looking forward to it. Mike Zimzak joins us next. He's down in the Washington, Baltimore area, and uh, we usually go eight different ways with Michael. We start off. He is, well, uh, hey, Don. Our, Don before, wait a minute. Hold on a second. He's our, leading, he's our leading soccer aficionado. 
So, uh, Roger, I thought we'd start off with the championship game of MLS, well, which is also no, a part gonna, of Philadelphia. Go ahead. We have another guest on, my grandson Zane Hendler, a freshman at Ridley uh, Township High School, does a radio show. And before we get to Mike, because Mike's a Phillies fan too, Zane, welcome back. And uh, how's everything going with your uh, radio career? Uh, hello, it's going great. Thank you for asking. Good, and uh, you're, you're just doing the show continuing once a week, or has it expanded? Uh, continuing once a week for now, still. I mean, I it hasn't expanded yet. Well, uh, now I, w- I want to get to the point uh, that, as I recall, in August you got to run the bases at Citizens Bank Park uh, yeah, with I your did. sister and your cousin, right? And did, nobody thought that they'd be playing in the World Series. And I'd like to have your uh, your impression as to uh, how the Phillies have done. And what do all the students and your friends think about the Phillies now? Um, I I did not expect that they would make it this far because they're they are like an. Average, like their average team, in my opinion, I didn't expect that they would like make it this far, like this year. Um, my, uh, the people in my school like really have a strong opinion on the Phillies, and my, I don't know about my friends, but like I know that there's been a lot of like excitement around them being in the World Series, though. Are they wearing a lot of Phillies? Let me, let me, Roger, let me school? ask him this because this is the World Series; it's in his backyard. Uh, how many tickets has your grandfather set aside for tomorrow's <laughs> game? Because I, I, I know you'd like to go to the game tomorrow, and I'm sure that your grandfather set aside a number of tickets for you and your sister to go. No, and another and a brother too. Oh yeah, I have a brother. Yeah. yeah. How, how many He's tickets do you have? He's only pulling your legs, Zane. He's only pulling your legs. But before we let you go, uh, are, are, are the uh, the student body at the Ridley, uh, are they supportive of the uh, uh, Phillies and they're wearing a lot of Phillies uh, gear in the uh, school? Yeah, I've, I've seen people in, like, Phillies jerseys and stuff. Like, so, and everybody, the teachers are excited and uh, everybody's yeah. wearing a lot of gear, huh? Yeah, they well, wear, like, the colors for the Phillies and stuff. And well, stuff, the one like, thing is – you got to run the bases. We never thought that they were going to be the National League champions, did we, when you ran the bases? Yeah, we did. So, well, listen, you take care. We'll talk to you soon, and uh, uh, we're looking forward to having you on again. We want to hear about the developing radio career. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me on. Okay. Oh, it's always a pleasure. We're building a younger generation here. Yep, absolutely. All right, we'll go okay, to Mike Zinzak now. And, uh, Mike, as I said, uh, another championship team almost in the city of Philadelphia uh, be decided at MLS. Give us, well, you, you picked it. You said that, that Philadelphia was going to win uh, uh, last Sunday against New York. They came up a winner. Uh, give us a little uh, insight into that game and also what's going to come up in the championship match. I mean, it was a lot about revenge for the for, for the union, remember, last year they thought as though uh, the COVID outbreak, and we still haven't fully gotten the details about what happened with that, cost them their cup. You know, they were up 
they were down 11 guys, including half of their outfield lineup, and their all-world goalkeeper. They actually went up in the game, but just didn't have enough strength to hold on to a uh, to that uh, 1-0 lead and ended up losing 2-1, only to watch NYCFC go on and lift the MLS Cup. So there was a sense of, you know, destiny, a sense of revenge that they wanted to get hosting NYCFC. Uh, in this case, they go down one nothing again, and um, in the span of about 10 minutes, scored three goals that showed their strength, their team, their tenacity. Andre Blake comes up with the key saves, and they're off to play LAFC out in California this Saturday at 4 p.m., uh, Eastern Time for their uh, for the MLS Cup. Uh, Is it going to be on first, Fox One again? Uh, I I got to believe it might be on Big Fox. Uh, I'm not, okay. I, I didn't actually check to see network it was on whether it was on Fox or ESPN, but it'll be okay. on one of the big ones. Yeah. Well, uh, the other day, the championship game was on Fox. Yeah, the playoff game was on Fox, but I know that they have um, split broadcast rights, so. Um, I'm not 100% sure. I didn't look. I just saw the time, and I figured I can surf through the channels well enough to find it. Um, <laughs> yeah. The interesting thing is, it is also um, Bank of California Stadium is in Exposition Park near USC. It's USC's homecoming, so there's absolutely no parking available for the uh, MLS Cup. They're telling everybody either take public transportation, which we know in L.A. is a complete and utter joke, or park at Dodger Stadium, which is about seven miles away, and catch a shuttle. Mm, That's not good. That's too bad. That's too bad. Roger? Well, yeah, because the uh, – do do they play in the the, uh, old Coliseum? No, um, I mean USC. No, USC. USC. Do they play? That's right, and that's why you've got a hundred thousand, you know, there, you know, or close to it, and uh, so that makes sense. And uh, but let me ask you this: when you look at the uh, uh, at the two teams, uh, do you see the uh, union, in your opinion, prevailing in this game? I think that the Union are just about as hot as any team, and they have been since the spring. Uh, They've picked up more points since, I think it was like April, May, more than anybody else. They haven't really had a bad run of form all season. You know, this is a team that has four players in the MLS starting eleven. So the other 27 teams in the league have seven players. The Union have four. Um, I think that they have more than a puncher's chance to win. And I think that, you know, Jim Curtin has been in these games before and not prevailed. And I think that there is a sense right now that this is their time. They have been one of the best teams over the course of the last three or four years. And other than a supporter shield, in a COVID-shortened season, they have really nothing to show for it. So uh, I think it's going to be a good one. I think it's going to be tight. Uh, I think it's going to be close. 
I will caution everybody that a lot of times when we look at finals for soccer, these are games that are meant to be won, not played, so it may not be the most beautiful thing to watch, but uh, I think I see the Union prevailing 2-1 in extra time. Mm. Vikings and the Commodores. I won a game again last Sunday. Give us an update on them. Uh, the Commanders. Our Commanders, our Commodores. Dan Snyder <laughs> announced this. There was an announcement this morning from the Snyder family that they had enlisted bankers from Bank of America to uh, facilitate uh, some sort of a transaction involving the team. Uh, just a couple, maybe an hour ago, it came out that the U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of uh, Virginia was starting an investigation into financial improprieties by the commanders. So uh, I'll let you, we, we can all draw, draw the tea leaves. Um, it is a super interesting development off the field. You know, Dan has said that he wouldn't uh, ever sell the team. Um, and you have this thing now, there is a claim that they could be just trying to sell a minority share in the team to make up a shortfall in the funding for the stadium. Right. But whether or not these, this investigation and the sale of the team are connected currently, they will be. Because I can't think of any legitimate businessman, business person, who would willingly buy a minority share of the commanders with no clear path to ownership, and given the allegations, both in terms of the hostile workplace and sexual harassment and the financial improprieties surrounding Dan Snyder, oh, and let's not forget that he's currently fighting in court with his former minority partners because he withheld their dividend during COVID without consulting them or informing them at all. So would you really want to do business with this person if you were a sound business person looking to invest in a product, hopefully to make money and with some sort of designs on becoming a future NFL owner? Roger? Well, yeah, I agree, uh, Mike. Who would? I mean, a smart businessman's never going to make that move. But, hey, listen, uh, there's, you know, what was it? P.T. Barnum said there's a sucker born every minute, so you never know. You know, sometimes you egos know, get in the way. If you look at Dan Snyder's history and how he has handled things in the past, when there becomes some sort of major outside influence, that tends to get him to move. He could give a fig about public opinion. So it's not like he woke up this morning, decided that all the bad press and what Jeremy Irsay said about him was going to cause him to sell the team. You know, when it came to changing the name, it wasn't until FedEx withdrew their money and Nike and Fanatics basically said they were not going to sell any uh, Redskins gear anymore. That forced him to change the name. He announced and similar fashion to, to this, he announced a couple of hours before the um, initial uh, report, the one that was not released, uh, that he was going to step back from the team and give control to 
uh, Tanya, and then the report came out with fine and all that sort of stuff. I don't think it's a mistake that he announces early this morning around 9, 10 o'clock that they're investigating uh, transactions, as they said, involving the team, and then you get this news that the um, U.S. attorney is investigating him for financial improprieties. A lot of people have said you know, that's where the current – um, investigation is going. That's where the um, that's where what's going to get him, and that is what I have said on this show many a time. Is going to mm-hmm. cause him to isolate himself from the owners. If you're messing with their money, that's enough to put some pressure on them for them to put some pressure on you to exit stage right. Mike, how about on the field? They seem to be uh, playing a little bit better, four and four. No chance to catch the Eagles that are seven and zero going to Texas tomorrow night, and I don't see them losing in Texas tomorrow night either. But uh, from a fan standpoint, from a ticket buying standpoint, is there a little more enthusiasm, a little more encouragement about the fact that at least four and four? There's a lot of encouragement about four and four, but I mean, this, as I've said many times, the fan base is so jaded that you know, ticket sales, anything like that, anything that can be seem to be benefiting the Snyders is just not going to happen. Uh, on the field, yeah, you're right. They have been playing better. They have been able to, in, in consecutive weeks, beat the Bears, the Packers, and the Indianapolis Colts. Now, that's not the strongest of opposition, but these are games that they have won. They're heading into this weekend against Minnesota with a chance to make it to um, – to, Get a winning uh, Only a two-and-a-half-point spread, so it's uh, relatively close according to the bookies. And the Vikings yeah, are good. and remember, that's, um, you know, the, it, it, it's in Washington. Uh, I think that uh, Washington also doesn't get the same three-point spread that a lot of teams do, thinking that, you know, Minnesota, if they were at home, would be someplace in, an, in proximity to about an eight- to ten-point favorite. Roger? Well, yeah, I, I, I was going to say uh, I've been impressed with uh, some of the uh, performance, uh, and I think Heineke, Heineke uh, uh, looked pretty good uh, against the Colts. And, uh, the, you know, it, who, who's to say? I think right now the NFC East is probably the strongest division uh, in the league. What do you think about that, Mike? Oh, but by far. I mean, the numbers back it up. Uh, they have a winning percentage and the number of wins that is on a historic pace right now. You've got Philly, who's unbeaten, the Giants with one loss, you know, the Cowboys also sitting there with, I believe, two. Um, and then the Giant, the, the Redskins, bottom of the division, but they're still a 500 team. Um, everybody in the division has a winning has is 500 or better. Um, as far as the commanders go, you know, they do have some winnable games. Uh, they have a shot to win probably, four, uh, you know, three to five of their remaining games, which could put them in that seven, eight, nine range. Uh, Taylor Heineke is, again, you know, I think he's a backup, but he's one of those backups who has shown time and time again that you can win games with him under center. He knows the playbook. He offers them a little bit more athleticism uh, and uh, he makes decisions quicker than Carson Wentz, which 
when you have a line that's as decimated as the commander's line is, that's a good thing. He's able to roll out. He's, he will step up in the pocket. He's a little more aggressive. And I think that's given them an attitude and a bump offensively that they've really needed. And you've seen that over the course of the last two weeks. All right, in summation, uh, the championship game in L.A., give us a final score. Like I said, I think in L.A., I think I'm, I'm looking for the union to list MLS Cup 2-1 after extra time. 2-1, okay, Ooh. close game. Thank you very much. We'll get together overtime. again next week. Mike, thank you so much. Have Mike, to, have, have a great week. And go Phil, go union. go union, go Eagles. Uh, hopefully we're <laughs> celebrating – a uh, triumphant week for Philly next Wednesday. Okay. Absolutely. Take care, Doug guys. Hamilton, our PGA expert, is on the line right now. He's in the Baltimore, Washington area as well. Uh, before I talk about the uh, good fortune uh, of the Baltimore football franchise winning a game last week to get back off the losing streak, uh, how about the $33 million now that uh, Dustin Johnson has won on this new tour. I mean, this is unbelievable. Yeah, big payday. Um, you know, it didn't didn't appear, although I didn't necessarily follow the live tour, it didn't appear that he had to do a whole lot to actually get it. So, um, I mean, he... Oh, yeah, uh, his team won, and they split $2 million yeah. apiece. But his, his total so far is $33 million. I mean, it obviously was what he was looking for in terms of, you know, playing less golf, winning more money, and, uh, you know, potentially enjoying more time to himself or what have you. So, you know, that was a very, you know, limited tour that they had this first season with the amount of events they did, and that's a big payday for a season for a year. And it looks like uh, both sides are mellowing a little bit. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading something and it isn't there. Uh, But certainly uh, Mm -hmm. uh, it looks like somebody's trying to get everybody together and – do something positive between the two groups. Yeah. Um, you know, it could be just uh, legal teams filing paperwork and different things to take time, I suppose. But um, I don't know. Well, I mean, there's uh, probably still an awful lot left that needs to be talked about and, and worked on and, and those sorts of things. And as I mentioned, you know, several times we've talked about this and, you know, whatever happens in court that some judge decides. Um, you know, I don't know if these two can play nice, and you know, it can be some sort of a, a rival tour that that they play against, or I, I don't know how they want to figure this out. But um, you know, for the players that jump ship and went over there, I'm I'm guessing they got what they were looking for. And uh, Rory, uh, we'll sum up the golf of the week. Uh, Rory zooming up the list again. Uh, when he did, uh, was in South Carolina, right? The tournament was in South Carolina this yeah. last week. And uh, so he's now looking back at uh, number one, and he's he's really playing probably the best golf he's played in four or five mm-hmm. years. Yeah, it's always nice to see people who, I mean, look, golf is a very cyclical sport where, you know, you uh, you play well, you don't play well, you miss cuts, you make cuts, you don't win, you you know, stay in the top 10, you cash a check, you do these different things, and it's a grind each and every week. And, um, you know, although I'm not a, a big Roy McElroy fan, it's it's nice to see someone who uh, kind of, you know, redeems themselves, so to speak, and gets back to the top of the, of the mountain. And, um, you know, that's a testament to how hard he's 
worked on his body uh, in the gym and doing the things that he's done as well as on, you know, his time practicing. And, you know, I, I can tell you those guys spend countless hours, um, you know, when cameras aren't on them doing their thing, hitting shots and playing and, um, you know, dieting and sleeping and all the things they need to do in the gym. And I mean, it's, it's a lot. Um, you know, I think that the misnomer is that it's a leisure sport that, uh, that people play and they get paid too much money and, you know, you, you're only really watching the end product, but the amount of time that goes into that when the cameras aren't on is, is significant. So, um, well, your club's starting to settle down now at the end of the fall season and, uh, heading into the winter. So, uh, we'll be jumping off a lot of the golf, but I know you had a great season. So, uh, mm-hmm. we always talk about those Ravens and they finally got a game in the win column. Roger, I'll let you start it off with the Ravens. Well, there you go. That's the question. Uh, what do you think, uh, Doug? They they did get a win, and uh, have they turned the corner or not? Um, it was a much needed win. I think any time you uh, you beat a Tampa Bay team with Tom Brady, you um, you know you you can check one off there. I think that um, you know always on a short week is is a more difficult task in hand. I think that you know they did what they had to do to win that football game. I think that. Um, you know, that um, a lot of people are still talking about Tampa Bay and their inability to to put four quarters together and score and, you know, the cloud that hangs over Tom Brady's personal life and all these different things. But, I mean, you know, when you step onto that field, I don't really think that anybody cares with regard to, you know, the outcome so long as it's a win. And, um, you know, it was nice for the Ravens to get that win on a short week and then have – you know, a, a 10-day period to, to get themselves healthy, which uh, they now turn their their focus to Monday Night Football and the New Orleans Saints. I think that um, the opportunity for the Ravens to get healthy, uh, I know they have some, some players that were kind of banged up, and I know that um, their what, second-round draft pick, David Ajabo, is, I think, ready to roll and probably should see some time as a pass rusher, I think. Tyus Bowser, uh, who injured his Achilles the last game of the season last year, is ready to roll. I think that should boost um, a, a middling uh, pass rush. I think that, you know, at the trade deadline, uh, getting Roquan Smith is a is a big deal. Um, I know that, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily think so. I think there were some other trades that um, were mentioned uh, ahead of his. But, you know, the, the Baltimore Ravens needed a – stout in the middle linebacker that they thought they had when they drafted Patrick Queen, who hasn't really um, taken that role and, and championed it. I think that if you put those two next to each other, I think you have a, a formidable linebacking core. Um, essentially the nuts and bolts of that trade work out to be that the Ravens traded a second and fifth round draft pick for Roquan Smith, who's in his fifth year deal. So whether they sign him to an extension or not is remains to be seen. If they let him walk, they'll likely get a third-round compensatory pick. So um, I think it adds a, a much-needed short tackler and, and um, really good defensive football linebacker in the middle. Um, I think you add up, hopefully, a lot of these pieces that we talked about. Um, and I think you have J.K. Dobbins, who's likely to return at some point, one of their Tight end draft picks um, is likely to return here uh, in the near future. I think it's good to see Ronnie Stanley playing left tackle again. Uh, I think the 
the rookies they drafted, the center and Kyle Hamilton, the defensive back, have seen quite a few reps and, and on-field snaps, which are really, really good for, for them in the now and also in the future. Um, you know, I, I know that the uh, you guys were talking about the what, NFC East being the best division. Well, you know, the AFC North isn't necessarily, um, you know, uh, they, there's some pretty average teams in there in terms of how they're playing with Pittsburgh and you did see Cleveland beat Cincinnati, and I think that's also really good for the Ravens, who who took, you know, a pretty commanding lead to that that division. So it, all these guys, I think, point to trending upwards and, and uh, hopefully some return on investment for them. I think two things you pointed out at the beginning, and I, I couldn't agree with them more. First of all, Harbach went in with a uh, short week coming into Tampa, playing in Tampa with a you know sellout crowd on hand, and and the Bucks having to win and couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the Ravens winning the ball game, but then on top of that, the fact that they now get another extra day on the other end because they don't play till Monday. So right. uh, you know the, they're going to have a nice rest period in between. And New yeah. Orleans isn't, isn't the most exciting team in the National Football League. No, and the good news is, you know, with that extra day, um, I think I think we were. I was excited to watch uh, Gus Edwards play, and I know again on a short week and him coming back uh, from. Um, a major knee injury from last year. He had a little bit of a string issue, so hopefully that gives him another day. But, um, you know, they, they after they play New Orleans, they have a bye week uh, the following week, and then they wind up playing, I think, uh, Carolina, Jacksonville, and somebody else I forget. But, you know, in a blink of an eye in another month, I mean, they could be 9-3. and three. Uh, So if they take care of business, I'm not certainly writing that, you know, just down on paper uh, with with a pencil for sure, but um, <laughs> Philly's you know, and Astros nothing. Philly's haven't gotten the base hit yet. Uh, Astros mm-hmm. had three, but it's nothing, nothing. Phil's had a run on a second, uh, second ago, mm-hmm. but they could not advance them. So they go to the fourth inning scoreless. Roger, you're on deck. Uh, Doug, uh, I wanted to switch gears a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. I know uh, you and your wife, especially your wife big uh, Georgia dog fans uh, have an opportunity for you uh, for this big game on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could come take her down, bring her down to Athens. Uh, you can, uh, for a couple thousand dollars, you can get a ticket right. to the game. Uh, yeah. Or you can go into a, uh, a local nice restaurant right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're charging a $200 cover to come in to watch the game. Yeah. But uh, you're well, near Sanford Stadium, so I think that'd be a great uh, a great gesture uh, uh, for you to make to your wife. I, I also I also think um, you know she had mentioned that that with this Roquan Smith trade um, that that she will now be acquiring a Ravens Roquan Smith jersey. Uh, as you know, he was a Georgia Bulldog. Um, right. But we we have um, tangentially had. Um, some discussion about at some point going to a Georgia game, and I can tell you that I've never been to a college. I've never been to a college football game. Um, but to your point, um, I'm guessing that pretty much everything in this household will stop on on uh, what 3:30 on Saturday uh, when this game right. kicks off. And um, <laughs> I don't know. I might mow the grass. I might pick some rocks. I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, so. Put down 
going well, to put down the final season fertilizer on the grass. This is the end of the fall season, so you, <laughs> yeah. can, uh, get that out of the, you can get that out of the way. Well, it, it is a great growing season. Um, I have actually done my uh, due diligence with uh, overseeding tall fescue here just to try to inspire some of these patchy areas. Uh, Mom and Dad have come over this past weekend. and uh, How's the golf course hold up? Well, I mean, look, you, you know, if you can't have a good golf course this time of year, um, minus, you know, what I will tell you is, is most golf courses sometime between, let's say, mid-September and, like, mid-ish October will do um, airification to their greens, whether it's the small tine or even in some cases the bigger tines um, in an effort to fire, you know, some of that growth and dethatching. Um, most people will do fairway airifications um, probably first week in November. So, yeah, you'll have some, some issues there. But by and large, you know, that September, October time frame is wonderful for playing golf. It's, I mean, hell, it was 70 degrees. It has been the, the first two days in November here up in the Northeast. So, um, well, look at it for the World is, Series. Did the Phillies get a break or yeah. did the Phillies get a break? I mean, they've got three days where it's going to be, you know, between 65 and 70 mm-hmm. again tomorrow. Uh, almost yeah. perfect fall weather for the for the World Series. It's tremendous. I mean, uh, you know, just to, to be outside and, and do some different things and, and take advantage of this, you know, Indian summer, if you will. But I think on the flip side, I think it begs the question, are we going to have a, a rough winter? And, and I'm going to say yes um, in terms of uh, snowfall and, and below average temperatures here. It could be a, it could be a rough one. We could – you know, get our uh, our backs in shape shoveling uh, this winter. So, Roger. Yep. Paybacks can be tough. The uh, yeah. you know the, I wanted to ask you about uh, since we're on baseball with the World Series, um, is there any uh, discussion about uh, possible Oriole acquisitions, uh, trades uh, in the free mm-hmm. agent market when the World Series yes. is over? That that free agent market's going to open up pretty quick. Yeah, I've been I follow a uh, a website called Major Major League Baseball Trade Rumors and typically they break down each team and you know what they did last year and what they're looking for and I know that the Orioles have made mention that they're looking to spend some money in this off season and I also think that they have a plethora of infielders uh that they're looking potentially for a trade partner and I think all signs point to Miami who has quite a few pitchers that that maybe we can make a deal with um that they've had some discussions with um, I think that uh, Jordan Lyles is one of the players that, that the Orioles had last year that pitched pretty well, that has a $11 million option or a $1 million buyout. Um, whether they keep him or not, I think that's a question that is answered to whether John Means can come back healthy from Tommy John, uh, the further development of Grayson Rodriguez, who's you know one of arguably the top pitching prospect in baseball and, and how he's going to respond to a late season lat injury. Um, you know, in addition to some of the Dean Kramers and guys that they had that, that are kind of fill out their rotation. So um, I don't think you'll see them make a splash, if you will, in terms of, you know, like a, a Justin Verlander or Jacob deGrom kind of a signing. Um, they've always targeted kind of those back-end, middle, you know, type guys like Jordan Lyles in an effort to eat innings. Um, I think they've decided to maybe turn the corner and, and, and upgrade some different things. So it'll be interesting to see because um, – Urias won the gold glove as a third baseman, but he's kind of that, I'm not sure, you know, moving forward guy because of, um, you know, Gunnar Henderson and, and Jordan Westberg and 
Um, some of these guys that, that may supplant him, I don't know. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how far they go in terms of spending money and, and what they really are trying to do there. Doug, as we look at the 22 World Series, uh, a lot of surprises for most of them. What do you think? I think it's been a wonderful World Series. I think, um, you know, on paper, I think Houston has a much better team uh, than the Phillies do personally. I think in terms of their pitching depth and, and back-end bullpen, I think that their hitters are, you know, absolute mashers. But as you guys know that, you know, you step out onto that field and it's what you do, you know, during those games. And, you know, the equivalency would be, uh, you know, a, a middling hockey team that gets into the Stanley Cup playoffs and all of a sudden they have a really hot goaltender and they go places. So, you know, right now Philly is, is hitting the baseball and their pitching staff is uh, just good enough in terms of their starters. I mean, you look at Houston's starting staff, I mean, it's an embarrassment of riches in terms of the arms they have all the way through their bullpen, um, you know, from top to bottom. And so, you know, Alvarez and Tucker and, and all these guys that are just really good hitters just haven't been producing at the plate. And, um, you know, it's been all Philly so far. So I'm I'm excited to watch as a fan. I, I don't have a rooting interest uh, per se, but I just, you know, look for good baseball, and I've seen it, and it's been nice. What do you fellas think about tomorrow night's game? Let's say that the Phillies do win tonight. Well, it doesn't matter, win or lose. Who do you think is going to start for Houston tomorrow night? Um, gosh, I think I think they're going to probably get to some point here where everyone who's available is going to be available. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know whose turn is it. Is it Verlander's turn? I would, you know, I would think uh, it would be yeah, Verlander's probably. turn, but Verlander has not in both in the uh, uh, both series, the final series, American League Championship Series, and in the World Series, he's he has been a disaster. So I would just wonder whether Dusty Baker, whether you think he'll go with Verlander or whether he'll go in another direction. I, I think he sticks to his his whiteboard, if you will, in terms of his staff and um, and goes with Verlander. And if, if he has an issue, he has an awful lot of options. Or Ur- Creedy, that guy is is uh, you know he's pretty much a starter. Uh, he can come into the game, and I think no, he he's got pitchers. Him, yeah, he's got pitchers. Yeah. But Verlander's been his guy. I mean, you know he. He stuck with him in game number one and also mm-hmm. stuck with him in the championship series. And, uh, you know, he just didn't seem to have the same control of his pitches nor the uh, velocity well, that uh, they wanted to see. So, uh, Roger, what do you think? you think he's going to stay with Verlander or you think he's going to go in another direction? Well, I'll tell you, you know, after uh, hearing Jimmy uh, Rollins uh, and some others talking about it earlier uh, today uh, prior to the, tonight's game, uh, he, the question was, the, uh, is he staying with uh, the, the uh, teams or with his pitchers too long? Verlander and, and oh, then the oh, last Hold it right there. we got to hold that till next week, boys. We're out of time. <laughs> Frank, you take over. Our exec producer, Frank Carroll, thank you very much to all our guests. We'll do it all again next week on Wednesday night starting at 730. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. God bless. Take care, Doug. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation. The men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the men and women of the Fire Services, and, and those of the veterans that kept us safe. Remember, freedom is not free. 
Peace program is dedicated to those who lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Patrolman Je- David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazwood, Star- Sergeant Thomas Bainger. Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hendricks, Sergeant Thomas Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Charlie Condit, Sharpen Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant uh, James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Charles Levesque, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Onofo Chris from Lakeland PD, Lieutenant Joe Zerber, Newcastle County Police, Deputy Josh Meyer, Knoxville County Sheriff's Department, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Artis Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department, <coughs> Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol, Chief Al Hogle, Longwood Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Deputy Mike Harnick, uh, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department, and Deputy Blaine Lane, Polk County Sheriff's Department. My brothers and sisters, oh, you may be 10-7 at this point in time, and sometime will be 10-10 as the day will hoor. Until that time, may the rose rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and sunshine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the hallow of his hands. Good night, God bless, and have a great week. Shema Hezahilma Sona Shenevoratfet Hakuig again, my Elma
County Dispatch to 1999. County Dispatch to 1999. All units be advised, 1999 has responded to his last emergency. May God rest his soul. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.